The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. It's really, really good to be with you today. I want to welcome you from the oldest, longest attending member to the brand new person who's visiting for the first Sunday. I want to thank you for being here, and I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. Uh, it's great to have you with us. I hope you were able to hear John Osborne last week in Luke chapter 8. Um, I know some of you, I hope, were able to go to that ministry fair that was before class last Sunday. Um, if you didn't get to, there are some great ministry cards uh, right out here in the lobby at the welcome desk. They look kind of like this one. Just cute little picture of Shelly Giddens. Um, and you can help out with a number of different ministries, new members, worship, youth, benevolence, missions. But we are a church uh, that strives not to be just consumers, but to be contributors. And so I pray that uh, you will take that step. You will get involved in, in a connections group. You will get involved in one of our ministries and continue to try uh, to work for the kingdom of God here in Edmond and Oklahoma City and in this church. So thank you so much for being with us this morning. And we're continuing today in Luke chapter 9. We are in the story of the transfiguration. So if you want to turn over to Luke 9, we'll be in verses 28 through 36 together. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with him. They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those with him were quite sleepy, but as they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Then as the men were starting to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. As he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So they kept silent and told no one at that time anything of what they had seen. Let's pray. God in heaven, Lord, your name is holy, and we praise you as such. God, this is a holy gathering. This is holy ground, God, to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love one another, to look to you, and to listen to your one and only Son, Jesus. 
Bless us as we seek to hear his voice today, Lord. Bless me with the gift of preaching. Bless us with the gift of your Holy Spirit's illumination. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This past summer, I married my cousin. Not in the Arkansas way. Um, I'm sorry. I should rephrase. I had the great honor of officiating my cousin's wedding this past May. And it was a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, it was really, really special for a number of reasons. I was honored uh, to get to do it. Lara was the photographer. You can see she did a great job. And also, as you can see, it was at an incredible mountaintop venue. It was in the Rockies. And so it was this just beautiful, beautiful place. And it was a wonderful ceremony, a great reception. And not just for the locale, but it was also a great event for the people in attendance. Uh, you see, my cousin Kayla kind of took this as an opportunity to make it sort of a family reunion of sorts for my father's side of the family. Um, we don't get together that often. And when we do, there tends to be a little bit of drama. You know what I'm talking about. But this was a great event. And this was just cousins I hadn't seen in decades and treasured aunts and cherished uncles and an incredible, truly, literally mountaintop experience. It was a wonderful time. And mountaintop experiences have the tendency to kind of augment whatever's happening there, don't they? You know, there's something about being on a mountain that excites our hearts and our minds to something greater and larger and beyond ourselves. There's something about mountaintop experiences that make them a place for holy encounters. They make them a place for encounters with transcendence. And that's absolutely what we get with our mountaintop experience in Luke chapter 9. But there's actually a sense in which finding a corollary uh, in our world, in our time, does a disservice to the transfiguration. You know, as preachers and teachers, we try and find parallels, we try and find illustrations to kind of ignite our imaginations towards Scripture. But there are events so singular and extraordinary and incomparable in Scripture that any possible parallel does a disservice, diminishes it. And I think the transfiguration is one of those stories. And so I want to get back to Luke's own language, which I think even the gospel writers find themselves pressed up against the wall of what human language can describe when they talk about the transfiguration of Jesus. So let's begin again in verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. Uh, that the sayings that it's talking about there, those are the sayings that Kim read 
earlier this morning where Jesus is talking about being the Messiah, the Son of Man, having to suffer, be rejected, die, and be raised again. So that's the context right before, about eight days before the transfiguration. And when people talk about Luke's gospel and how they love it, they usually talk about the details, right? Luke has these wonderful little features and flourishes that are all his own. And there's several of them in this text. One I want to get to later, but right now I want you to notice that Luke is the only, between him and Mark and Matthew, who tell this story. Luke is the only one who tells us that they went up the mountain to pray. Luke says that they went up to the mountain to pray. And indeed, in in discovering and studying this, it appears that Luke is probably the gospel writer that emphasizes prayer more than any other. That Jesus, even, in Luke's gospel, is painted as a deep and abiding prayer warrior. Jesus is always praying. In fact, in Luke 5, 16, it says he frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. And he's, he's praying all the time, but he's also praying before very big events or choices or decisions. He's praying in, in Luke 3, it says, this is at his baptism. Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, the heavens opened. Or the night before he chooses his 12 apostles, in Luke 6, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. And of course, the next time we see Jesus praying on a mountain, it's going to be the Mount of Olives. It's going to be a few days or a few moments before his arrest. And he's going to be praying with such intensity and anguish that Luke says his sweat will be as thick as blood. Jesus doesn't have a prayer life. His life is prayer. Jesus doesn't have a prayer life. His life is prayer. That's the language that we use when we talk about it, isn't it? We talk about our prayer lives. I'll be honest, I struggle in my prayer life. I'm struggling even now in my prayer life. You know, I, I check all the, the routine boxes before meals, before bed. You know what I'm talking about, before preaching sermons. But I can feel my prayer attention span begin to shrink. And I can feel the motivation at times wane. And I look at Jesus and his life, and I think, I I have never prayed like Jesus does. You think, well, Brett, it's Jesus. (laughs) You're not him. (laughs) You never will be. But that's just the thing. If we want to be like Jesus... We will never be like Jesus until we begin to try to pray like Jesus. We'll never think and act and speak like Jesus until we begin to pray like Jesus. Until we cease to have a prayer life and make our life prayer. 
If you're looking for an example of a prayer warrior, look no further than your Savior, Jesus Christ. That communion with the Father is what we need to strive for. And our text says that not only did they go up to the mountain to pray, but that Jesus is actually praying as the transfiguration happens. In verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white. I don't know that I've ever on a Sunday morning actually heard a sermon on the transfiguration. Maybe you guys have a bit more seasoned than me, and maybe you've heard a dozen of them, but I, I feel that the transfiguration is probably one of the most prominent events in the life of Jesus, and yet one of the most neglected. You know, some people think of it as one of these five pivotal events in his life, including his baptism, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. That's pretty important company for the transfiguration to be in. But I feel as though we overlook it at times. And I wonder if the part of the reason for that is because of how inaccessible it is. Because of how mysterious and strange and even mystical it is. This kind of straining against language that we talked about. And in that way we can kind of empathize with the disciples who are caught off guard and don't really know how to fully take this. But they do use language, the gospel writers, and they, they have some consistencies among them. They talk about this white clothes. Mark says that they were whiter than anyone could ever bleach them. Matthew talks about Jesus' face shining, and Luke kind of gives us similar language that his face is transformed and that his clothes are this dazzling, brilliant white. And I think what we're supposed to realize here, what we're supposed to see and remember is Moses in the presence of God. Right? Exodus 34, Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the law and he's been up with God so long that when he comes down, his face is just shining, radiating the glory of Yahweh. So much so that people have to, have to put a veil over it so they can look at him and talk to him. But the, there's a very important distinction here between Moses in Exodus and Jesus at the Transfiguration. And the distinction is this. The glory on Moses' face comes from outside of him. Comes from his proximity to the divine. But the glory of Jesus Christ appears to come from within. Jesus' glory and brightness and dazzling shining doesn't seem to come from proximity to the divine. It comes from his divinity. It comes from this divine identity from within Jesus himself. But this text is saying something radical about who Jesus is. And just as we get these echoes of Moses, guess who shows up? Then two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with him. 
They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. I want to put a little bookmark on that part about the departure. But Moses and Elijah show up and they are on the mountain with Jesus. It's like Jewish Mount Rushmore. I mean, these are the tops of, of God's people, of the people of Israel, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, it is absolutely the tops. And so I think there, there are some really interesting things about why they were there. There are some interesting things about the way Moses was buried and the way Elijah passed from this earth. But what we really need to see in their presence on the mountain is the law and the prophets. Moses, the lawgiver, the great liberator. Elijah, supreme among the prophets of Israel. A faithful ministry in life. And here they are putting their stamp on Jesus the Messiah. And in a sense, they're saying, actually, Jesus, put your stamp on us because you're the one we only could talk about. You're the one we could just barely speak about. But you are the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then we get Peter. We haven't heard from him yet. But in verse 32, it says, Now Peter and those with him, James and John, were quite sleepy. But as they became fully awake, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. Then as the men were starting to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. I think it's interesting that Peter, you know, he's weighed down with sleep, the text says. He's very sleepy. He says something kind of foolish. I think we've, most of us have been there. We've been tired or fatigued or perhaps even asleep and said something strange or wrong or weird. I know that I apparently talk in my sleep, so I'm told. <laughs> apparently I laugh in my sleep as well, which doesn't surprise anyone. Um, but I am reported by my wife to probably the strangest thing I've ever said in my sleep that she's told me. I'm going to change the name of the friend it's nobody here, nobody who would probably listen to this sermon, but I just don't want them to feel any animosity, because there isn't any. But apparently, I said in my sleep, I'll say his name is Chad, you die a miserable death, Chad. <laughs> I think is how it went. I have no idea what dark reservoir of my soul that came from. I have no animosity towards this friend. I don't want him to die, much less a miserable death. But apparently that was said because 
we say strange things when we are under the influence of sleep, I think. But it says here that Peter was kind of waking up and he was becoming fully awake. And Peter's saying here actually is not sinister at all, of course. Uh, but his actually has good intentions, right? Jesus, or Peter, wants to build three shelters for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And so what this indicates apparently is that Peter wanted to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This is a very important Jewish holiday, an important time to remember God's provision in the past and to think about God's provision for the future. Um, and so this is what Peter's intention is, but before he can take a single step towards it, in verse 34, as he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So they kept silent and told no one at that time anything of what they had seen. You know, this cloud appears, and I doubt that it was necessarily one of our watery clouds. I have a feeling it may have actually been more of a kind of Shekinah cloud, kind of a glory cloud, really drawing us again back to Exodus. This glory of God surrounds them. They're terrified, and God says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God says, listen to him. God distinctively and solely, just at Jesus' baptism, identifies with his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Here is God saying that his exclusive, ultimate, authoritative word is being spoken in Jesus, so you better listen up. you guys ever have magic eight balls growing up? Kind of like those as a kid. You know, you ask it the question, will my team win the championship? It is decidedly so. You know, or does she have a crush on me? Don't count on it. <laughs> but I think if we could construct a magic eight ball for the Christian life. And instead of 20 possible answers, I think if I could put just one answer in that ball, I think I would put these three words from Luke 9.35. What do I believe about God? Listen to Him. What should I believe about myself. Listen to him. What should I do about my neighbor? Listen to him. What should I do about my enemy? Listen to him. What should I do about X hot button issue? Listen to him.
who will rescue me from this body of death? Listen to him. I want to return to that bookmark that we put earlier in verse 30 and 31. It says, Then two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with him. They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. Only Luke gives us the content of their conversation. Matthew and Mark tell us about Moses and Elijah, say that they were talking, but only Luke hints at what they're actually talking about. And I'm afraid, unless you're Jim Dvorak following in your Greek New Testament this morning, you're going to miss what's at stake. Because that Greek root word for the word departure there, you know what it is? Exodus. Exodus. They spoke about the exodus Jesus was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Exodus. God's people in bondage, in slavery. God's people in chains under a tyrannical ruler, Pharaoh. But God, hearing their cries, raises up a deliverer in Moses and leads them out through the waters of chaos to freedom on the other side. God leads them to salvation. And here's Moses talking with Jesus and Elijah about a new exodus. But this exodus, instead of Egypt, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. And this exodus, instead of chains, literal slavery and bondage, it's going to be spiritual and sinful and literal bondage. Instead of Pharaoh, it's going to be the powers of sin and death and the devil. Instead of Moses and the Red Sea, it's going to be Jesus on the cross. There's a new exodus on the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is more than just paying the debt. That's part of it. The cross is more than just expunging the guilt of sin. That's part of it. But it's also leading us out in liberative freedom. It's deliverance. It's defeat of the enemy, of the powers of darkness. And it's Jesus conquering and leading all God's people through the waters of baptism into freedom. That's the departure that they talked about. The transfigured Jesus Christ in all his glorious splendor as the Son of God wants to take you from whatever chains weighing you down. And he wants to lead you through the waters to freedom. Because he has a glory all his own. The glory of the one and only Son of God. And that is a glory that can set you free.
whatever is weighing you down, whatever pharaohs on your back, whatever Egypts hold you in their grasp, Jesus Christ is leading you out. Please let him do it. Because the very first step is simple. Listen to him. Listen to him. Let's begin to listen as we stand and praise him together.